Hello, and welcome to the RDCD podcast. Today we're talking with Keith Palmer. Keith is the associate pastor at Grace Bible Church in Granbury, Texas, and he's the director of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. Not to be confused with the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. Um, Keith, we are so glad that you are going to be one of the plenary speakers at the 2019 Training Institute this year. It really was yours and Jim Neuheiser's idea to speak on this issue of identity. And we are really excited to hear what you're going to teach. Um, you're speaking on several topics, actually, this year, a little um, overwhelming, but let's start with the plenary session on our identity found in union with Christ. How does this amazing truth inform the world of somebody who is struggling to mediate the circumstances of a devastating diagnosis? Well, I would want people to see that identity in Christ is really the spiritual umbilical cord of the Christian life. Uh, every good gift that we enjoy, uh, every benefit of our salvation and sanctification comes because of our union with Christ uh, as we trust him by grace through faith and are united to him in the gospel. Um, so when I'm thinking about this topic as I'm hoping to present it, in the plenary, uh, I really want to try to develop it in, in its fullness. So thinking about how union with Christ transforms our identity, uh, how we think about ourselves, how, how we uh, think about um, the, the gifts that God gives us, the roles that God gives us, um, how we think about our families, how we think about our vocations, you know, every, everything related to identity that has to center ultimately on our union with Christ. Um, it transforms how we think about our abilities, um, how we minister, um, how we use gifts and talents that God gives us. Um, and, and maybe most fundamentally, it helps us to think about going from being a slave to sin, uh, our utter inability to walk with God, uh, to now a new transformed ability to say no to our sin and to grow in righteousness. Um, it reveals a hope uh, there's a hopelessness in the bondage of sin and our, uh, the, the guilt and the shame and the, uh, the consequences, the condemnation, the judgment. Um, and of course, coming to Christ and being united to him, there's this new hope we have uh, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, uh, and that hope uh, both transforms us in this life and ultimately in the life to come. Uh, union with Christ helps us to think about our circumstances differently, that our circumstances are not ultimately the issue, um, though we struggle in this broken world, that because of our union with Christ, um, we, we have every good gift, every, every ability that Christ would have us to have to walk in this broken world by faith and to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and, and to use uh, the opportunities that we have, even in, in hard things like suffering and trial, uh, for gospel purposes and, and, and for an evangelistic light uh, to a broken and dark world. So, so those are some of the things I would want to develop. Uh, you know, as Jesus said in, in John 15, when he described himself as the vine and us as the branches, uh, he said, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. So union with Christ is, is the basis for, it's, it's, it's the spiritual lifeline uh, of believers to the Lord Jesus himself. That is one of my favorite verses, actually. Um, if there was only one thing that 
the attendees could take away from that talk? What would you hope it would be? That I need to see every aspect of my life in Christ through the lens of my identity in Christ through union with him. So you're also going to expand our thinking on this topic by training us about the transformational benefit um, that's found actually in our diseases, our, our labels of diseases and our labels of disabilities. Um, as biblical counselors know, people often just want the pain to stop, their painful circumstances to go away, but Christ is doing something amazing within them. Talk to us a little bit about what we miss out on when we simply want the pain um, to go away. You know, the idea for this talk came from my story, which is I grew up in a home with a younger brother who had a severe disability. Uh, he uh, was born uh, premature and he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, uh, an actual brain damage that happened uh, shortly uh, during or after his birth. And uh, so the home that I grew up in was a home with a brother with a major disability. Um, he didn't uh, talk when he was supposed to learn to talk. He didn't walk when he was supposed to learn to walk. I mean, all the normal developmental uh, milestones were, were things that were not realized in his life. And you know, I've always been struck. I love him. He's a great example of, of faith in the Lord Jesus. And, um, and I think that there are many people like him that maybe have a disease like that, or, or maybe it's a cancer diagnosis, maybe it's diabetes, maybe it's a traumatic brain injury, you know, you know some, some disease, some label, uh, that is a trial. And in the case of my brother, uh, this is a lifelong trial. He's 35 years old, and he's never known anything other than what life is like with cerebral palsy. So that, that was sort of the, the thinking behind this talk. And what I would want to uh, relate in this situation is that our diagnoses and our labels, our diseases, tend to become temptations of competing identity with Jesus and the gospel. And, you know, we see this when, uh, when somebody uh, brings appropriate attention to maybe a particular cancer or a particular disease. And, um, and we're thankful in God's common grace for how doctors and medicine and interventions and, and whatnot can help uh, with alleviate some of the suffering. But I, I think what the temptation becomes is to make that, even in a, in a positive sense, a form of identity. So what I want to do in this talk is, is to think about what Jesus said in John chapter 9, where uh, the man asked about the uh, the person born blind. You know, who sinned, his his parents or or him? And Jesus' response is so telling. He said, you know, neither, but so that uh, the work of God would be manifested in his life. In fact, let me let me read you exactly what Jesus says here uh, from John, because this is the anchor verse to think about. I think diseases and diagnoses. Um, Jesus uh, says this in John nine. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Well, what does that mean? And, and uh, your question is, when someone is labeled, you know, how can that become a part of the transformational work that God wants to do in their life, rather than just 
going through life looking for ways to make the pain go away. And certainly all Christians of all people would, would want to alleviate suffering, would, would want to minimize pain insofar as that's able to do. But what Jesus is saying here is that there's actually a bigger, grander goal beyond just the alleviation of suffering, as good and as right as that is. It's to see the work of God magnified and the person transformed uh, so that the gospel is more clearly and brightly seen because of the disability than if the disability or disease was not present. So that's what I'm going to try to develop in that particular talk. Yeah, that is so good. I'm reminded of, um, was it don't let your cancer don't, go don't away? Don't waste your cancer. Don't waste your cancer, that's yeah. Right. Um, but that's a different way of looking at it than the opposite, like you're saying, the cancer, or I'm a cancer survivor, you know, or any of the other identities that we... That's right. Well, you can imagine how radical what Jesus said in John 9, because the conventional wisdom was, you know, either he, he sinned or his parents sinned. And even though we have a different way of thinking today, the world has a right way of thinking, which is, you know, cancer is bad, this disease is bad, and, and eliminating it is the only program. And so Jesus radically transformed the perspective both in the first century than even in today. So yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we, can, we can develop that some more. Um, so you've taken on some lighter issues here, but abuse, another talk that you're going to um, share with us. Um, this situation is one of the most difficult topics for me to counsel, yet I would say it's also the most prevalent. So I'm, I'm actually hoping for, you know, really, I'm hoping for more resources as I counsel women. Um, but what is one of the ways that pastors, biblical counselors can shepherd abuse survivors well with this news of their identity in Christ? I think that one of the best ways that pastors and biblical counselors can shepherd people who are coming out of abuse situations is to say loud and clear, you are not what has been done to you. You are not what has been wrongly told to you. Identity in Christ needs to be a louder, clearer, more compelling voice of identity, of, of union with him, than the identity that the abuse survivor is likely believing about herself or himself. So, for example, when Galatians 2.20, Paul writes uh, this, this watershed verse of identity, um, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If an abuse survivor, by God's grace, as the Spirit would energize this text and give her an ability to believe it in her heart and to live it out, the truth in this verse is radically transformational. Because now, the abuse is not the lens through which she views herself. The gospel is the lens through which she views herself. And, and that has all sorts of implications. And so, for example, the gospel would transform how she thinks about her guilt. Um, guilt is a big topic, as you know, as people think about abuse. Shame that, that accompanies that. This, this, uh, this chronic perception that I am dirty, that I am... Um, 
filthy because of the abuse and, and uh, uh, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, the scripture says. So, so there, there's all these dynamics that come together as, as we open up the gospel and look at all of these implications. And then what we as pastors, shepherds, biblical counselors do is we want to connect those gospel truths to the unique struggles of the person coming out of abuse, uh, forgiveness issues, trust issues, how they view themselves. Um, but but I, I think the main thing would be to help them to see that um, the gospel of Jesus and the identity that we would have in him as we understand it through union with Christ transforms how that person thinks about herself in dozens of different ways. I don't, I don't think that, uh, as I've had the privilege of working with a number of abuse survivors, I don't think that we realize the manifest ways that an abuse survivor has been defined by the abuse. Um, I'm working with a dear family right now, and, and we are still unfolding all of the different aspects, all of the different uh, uh, applications and, and nuances of how the abuse has just completely impacted areas that we might not even think about. So, but but the, the truth of this verse is 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 the hope, and that is. Uh, when we come to Christ, we've been crucified with Christ, we've died with him, we've been buried with him, we've been raised to walk in newness of life, and so it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that is freedom, that is transformation, that is new identity and new hope as we come to walk through that new lens of, of identity in him. Keith, one of the, the questions that comes to mind as we talk about abuse survivors is does the same type of thinking of identity also apply to abuse victims in the midst of abuse versus kind of as you get through abuse? Right. Respond to that a little bit. Yeah. So I think the same truths that we see in this verse, as well as in others in scripture would apply to people currently experiencing abuse uh, as they would apply to those who have come out of the abuse uh, and I think if we go back to the original question about how can pastors uh, shepherd abuse survivors, I, I think we could add to that that the church needs to be active in being vigilant and having our eyes wide open to recognize that there are likely people in our congregations today that are currently victims of abuse. And, and so we would want to do everything in our power to try to rescue them out of those situations. Um, but, but I think, uh, your question, Bob, that, you know, do the, uh, does this apply to victims of abuse? Absolutely. And, and in fact, um, these truths are the lifeline of somebody in the middle of that, especially if the abuse is unknown. And, and typically if the abuse is ongoing, uh, assuming if I'm the pastor, I'm going to be doing something about it, you know, the moment I hear about it. So if it's happening, no one knows about it. They're suffering in the dark, as it were, alone. Uh, absolutely. I think gospel verses like this need to be uh, the anchor to bring hope, and, and, and hopefully uh, that will lead to um, uh, uh, some sort of resolution to that situation coming as well. So um, addiction seems to be one of the topics that I think biblical counseling has just kind of scratched the surface on. Um, some of the things that I think about is are, for instance, like a woman I just met at church the other day whose husband overdosed and killed himself with opioids, painkillers. Um, so we were talking about how to kind of meet 
those people in their need and in their hopelessness and in their pain before they get to that point, before they get to the point where they are addicted and completely hopeless. So how, how does the church present the gospel in such a way as to meet those people? I think the best thing the church can do to meet those people is to be a faithful biblical church in the truest sense of the New Testament term. Um, I don't think there's a magic formula. I don't think there's special techniques to deal with addictions or, or any of these difficult topics that we're discussing today. I think that Jesus designed the church with a precision and a wisdom and the best thing that we can do to help people that are suffering in addiction or any other uh, difficulty is to be a New Testament church. Uh, Paul Tripp, uh, many years ago in a talk I heard him give, talked about being intentionally intrusive. <laughs> so, you know, life-on-life relationships in a New Testament church means we know each other, we're involved, and certainly we understand we, we can't manufacture a relationship in such a way that, that you know, we know everything about everybody in our church, but we certainly needing to, we need to strive to have significant relationships and reject a contentment with a superficial relationship that seems like so many churches operate under. I, I think when we when we cultivate a culture where superficiality is okay, what we do is we allow these sorts of problems to continue in the dark without knowing about them and about people like this dear lady that you talked to uh, with, without them having any sort of recourse or help or relationships that might be, might be able to assist her uh, in the midst of that. So I, th- I think the challenge is in being a New Testament church is to make connections between the gospel and the struggles that people going through addiction face, both for those that, that are addicted and wrestling with that, and like with this, this woman you spoke with, uh, are walking alongside people and trying to care for those that are addicted. So maybe just three things that the New Testament tells us that are ways that we can make connections between the gospel and the unique challenges of addiction. Uh, the, the first thing we learn in the Bible would be the, this, this um, topic of worship. Um, you know, Ed Welch says in his book on addictions that addiction is really a worship disorder. And I think that's a good lens. That's a good biblical lens through which to understand the, uh, the issue of addiction. Um, so worship deals with things like our desires. It deals with issues like enslavement, allegiances, um, having a biblical view of uh, how um, uh, people are motivated by the inner man and, and uh, worship being the, the sort of operating system of human beings. Uh, we're always worshiping. Uh, Romans 1 would tell us that uh, there's no off switch to worship. If we're not worshiping and serving the creator, then we're worshiping and serving the creature. And of course, that's what we all do as fallen people. We replace God. Um, so seeing addictions through the lens of worship, I think, is one way that we can help people that are struggling. I, I think what happens a lot of times is Christians open the Bible, and because they are so psychologized by a secular view of addiction, they read their Bible and they go, this has nothing to do with my husband's problem. And so that's where the church needs to develop, uh, well, not we don't need to develop it, we, we need to unfold what the Word of God already says about the uh, the ways in which Scripture addresses these issues, like, for example, thinking about it in the lens of worship, and then connecting that to addictions of all sorts. And then people read their Bible and they say, okay, this does have something to do with me. I, I, I see that this is ultimately about who or what I'm worshiping. So, so that would be one way. I think a second thing the church can do 
to make connections between the gospel and the struggle with addictions is we need to teach on biblical psychosomatics, meaning we need to help people to see that God made human beings as both an inner man and an outer man, or a body and a spirit. What happens, um, there is wonderful science being done today in the medical community on addictions, and, and, and that is helpful uh, uh, in a lot of ways. The problem is a secular medical community studies addiction through an unbiblical anthropology. They view people as body only right? And therefore, all they're seeing are brain issues, hormones, neurotransmitters, you know, the effect on the body. And certainly addiction has an effect on the body, absolutely. But because their worldview is that the body is all there is, um, they miss the importance of the inner man and the spirit. And what the Bible says is really what is driving that person's life uh, from the inside out. So I think we need to teach the church body and spirit, inner man and outer man, and how those two intersect, and realize then that addiction, though it clearly affects the body, and there is a body component, there's also a spiritual component, and the reality of what Scripture says about addiction is, uh, really, we're not going to get anywhere of significance in terms of helping that person until the inner man is addressed first in justification, and then secondly through sanctification. And then maybe the third, a third way we can connect the gospel, particularly to the struggles of addiction, is just talking about the topic of hope. You know, uh, we, we think, what is the hope, right? Is, is the hope soberness? Is the hope a new drug? Is the hope a new intervention? Um, you know, hope is, is the name of the game. Where, where are we going to point this person ultimately, whether they're the caretaker or whether they're the person struggling? And, uh, and I think we have to come back to the gospel as our ultimate and final hope. Hope is in coming to Christ and in his justification, sanctification, washing, redemption, there is an ultimate transformation in the life, even from very difficult situations like addiction. So uh, the gospel is where we want to center uh, our hope for, for dear people that are struggling in those areas. Yeah, I think what you've said earlier on is just absolutely, I'm hearing throughout everything that you're going to be talking about, and that just is how important it is to have a biblical, accurate um, perspective on our identity, and then to live our lives, practically speaking, out of that knowledge. Um, so, right. you know, yep. yeah, this is great. And I, I know for me, just the whole idea of union with Christ, as we talked about earlier, is um, I think we understand it intuitively, but yet practically we aren't quite sure what that all means and what that looks like. So I'm really looking forward to the talk as well. No, no pressure though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a topic that uh, that can't be exhausted in one conference. And I think I think uh, the other brothers that are going to be teaching, I'm really excited to hear how they each develop that. And uh, yeah, I think it'll be a great conference to all learn from one another and, and Jesus will be honored and hopefully people will be helped. Amen. 